Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2019. 2019. What's on your mind today, sir? Been thinking a lot about aspen trees. That's a good thing to think about, actually. We come into a new year and we we kind of did a rebrand. Not, not a rebrand. Mm. We've we've updated our brand and we've included the aspen tree. I, I I really like the aspen tree. Why do you like the aspen tree? If you don't know, it's a single organism. They're actually the world's largest single organism. Single that, largest. That we know of. That we know of. It's a what if the tree. world is a single organism? Hmm. I mean, some may argue it is. But it, it, the aspen itself, right? It's it's a root system. Single root system. Single root system that until all systems are right, the first tree won't break through the ground. But every tree in an aspen system is genetically identical. Um, yeah. So if you see a sprawling set of aspen trees, they all come from the same root system, and that root system develops before the aspen tree itself develops. Could be years. It could be years. It's uh, it's quite a beautiful thing. In fact, if you go to our website, you can read more about it, and you can see uh, a picture of a beautiful aspen tree forest because they are a gorgeous tree. But it really just fits. I mean, like you said, what if the world is a single organism? In fact, we kind of believe in a way that it is. And we're just trying to we're just trying to stitch the threads, man. Just trying to help everybody see the connection. That's it. Stitch the threads. Maybe maybe we're trying to show the threads. And I mean expose the roots. <laughs> there it is. There it expose is. Expose them. <laughs> well, as always, do enjoy the show. Welcome to or welcome back to More in Common. We're a social enterprise with the goal of exposing the root system. We believe that we all have more in common than that which divides us and that we're all nurtured by the same kinds of things and that we need each other. This is our podcast, our our social experiment, if you will. Um, We look to provide a comfortable and safe space to have open, honest, insightful conversations that matter. We've created a map to help you talk about anyone, about anything at almost any time. The goal is to supplement this map by providing you with the tools you need to improve your conversation skills so you may become a catalyst for connection and be a conversation leader. want to remind everybody, check out our website, www.moreincommonpod.com. It's where you can find all things More In Common. You can find this podcast itself. You can find our blogs, contact information, merchandise. We've got it all. Moreincommonpod.com. And if you like this episode or any of the other episodes that you hear or have heard, share them on your socials, on the Facebook, on the Instagram, on the Twitter machine. Share them out. We'd appreciate it. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Our last episode was with Sophie. Mm -hmm. What'd you think about it? What'd you learn? I think for me, two, two quick things. One, and, you know, as tactical as it was, the the newsfeed diversification, you know, different news sources that are counter or balanced to the, I guess, leanings of your primary source. Um, and I started doing that. And it actually is a great experiment, and I would encourage everybody else to do it. And then one of the things that I find most fascinating about Sophie and inspiring in a way is how she challenges her biases and how she embraces them to make them better. And it makes me realize how I still struggle with it and continue to try to be better. And I think she is a great example of of functional ways to do it and the possibility of having it done. How about you? Yeah, I mean, that first one, we, as a result of the conversation, we found a podcast similar to ours. The topics are 100% political with views that neither of us would typically align with, but I listen to it probably every week or every other week, and it was 100% based on that suggestion of just trying to diversify the inputs, and it's good. It's good to have that, not not to hear the same thing all the time, right? Like, it's just, you're just kind of getting high on your own supply if you're only listening to what you agree with. And I also liked her thought on walking into a conversation, acknowledging the fact that she might be wrong, Mm. or that what she thinks somebody else may disagree with. Like, I think that that's... um, it's a really healthy place to start with. I think I don't think that means you can't have confidence in what you think. It's sure. just a very different vantage point and it allows for dialogue to happen. So it, was a, it, was, it was a good conversation, that's for sure. So we got we had Jamil yeah. on the slate. Tell him about Jamil. Jamil's awesome. I'll start off with. He's a social He's one of those people like you you talk to Jamil and you just feel better. You just feel better. 
Like it's it's a it's a vibe, right? I mean, he's a social entrepreneur. He's a photographer. Uh, he he's he's it, life's path has taken him from from the conference tables of Wall Street through the veins of New York and beyond. Um, when words fail to capture the meaning of moments, his distinct awareness enables him to speak clearly through his camera. Uh, life does compel Jamil to find ways to show people our individual beauty and our collective significance as a society. And you can even check out his photographs at www.jamilsmithphotography.com. That's J-A-M-I-L, smithphotography.com. Um, he's in a, <laughs> Rodney already started it, but uh, what are some of the things that we did talk about? Entrepreneurship. We did talk a little bit about Wall Street, attachment and conviction to self. Uh, what else we got? Uh, that transition from Wall Street to practicing acupuncture and Eastern medicine. Because that's uh, a normal move. Yeah. The relationship to money and and how that impacts that type of decision that I think many of us struggle with. Maybe not that exact path, but the concept and idea of going from money to passion. Um, confidence versus cockiness. We talked a lot about that. Uh, mm-hmm. So we talk about a lot of things and we're really excited to kick off the new year with this conversation. Hopefully it gives you the, the feel good vibes that a new year's conversation should have. Um, so, so you can, you can uh, feel, feel good, good going into 2019. Enjoy the show. Feel good vibes. Let's go. And, and and where I start with that is I do my own valuation of what my value system, what my with the things that I value in my personal life. I'm very clear on those. I'm, I'm also able to kind of revisit them on a regular basis and see if those, see if my valuation of the things that I deem important in my life are changing. And if they change, then how I engage with somebody else, that value, the value of that experience can also change. Whenever I found that, whenever I would receive a compliment or just somebody should like shower me with love and support like that and I would shy away from it. That to me, I was telling the universe that I was not deserving of what it is I would get. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like the universe is going to listen to everything that I'm saying and that I'm telling it and it's going to act accordingly. I've always wanted to become more in tune with myself. Everything about acupuncture, like the, the philosophy of it, the philosophy that birthed the medicine, the tools that we get and use within the medicine all starts with being in touch and in tune with nature and being in tune with the universe which is how all the acupuncture points on the body were mapped welcome to or welcome back to more in common today we are with jamil jamil how's it going this morning i'm doing wonderful man how about yourselves uh doing fantastic fantastic um off the top so wanna wanna dig in on something you know that i think a lot of people struggle with is this idea of the life that they they live and the life that they want to live and you're a man who worked on wall street for two years and now you're an acupuncturist (laughs) like i i there is a transition there of significance that uh, i would love to understand and let you know let you uh, give give some give some time to explaining that transition and what drove you to do it yeah um well first i'll say that between those two bookends of starting my post you know undergraduate career in finance and on wall street to now where i work with self-cultivation wellness physical spiritual health with acupuncture and herbs there was a couple of spirals of like life happening in between those things, obviously. Um, and I would say like, that's, you know, that's the last 15 years of my life. Um, where, when I was 21 years old, I was entering into like the working world in finance. Um, but really at that time, like to go from then to now, like I would say probably around nine years old, nine to 10 years old. I always, I was, I was always kind of visualizing my future. Like what I would look like. Like I always knew I would have long hair. I'd never met anybody who had locks before. Um, I always knew I would be an entrepreneur, but I never, I didn't know what type of business it would be. I always knew I wanted to work with people and to be able to really inspire people to make really, to really think for themselves and to take ownership and to be proud of like taking ownership of their lives again. 
Um, and then to be able to celebrate those moments with them and together, it was very important to me. And so as a child, I always chose like sports to be my vehicle because that's the place where like when I think of sports and sporting events, there for some people there's competition. But when you think of like all the people who are there to support the people participate, like the, the people actually competing, there's so much camaraderie in the stands. And that's the thing that I always want to contribute to in life and in, in my community. Um, yeah. In some way to be able to inspire them. And then to go out like, yo, like that was a great experience. And like now I'm inspired to go out and do it in my own life outside the lines. Um, and so how finance came into the world was when I went to college, I went to Morales College in Atlanta. They have a really strong business department. And my brother and one of my really good friends and mentors who grew up in my neighborhood, both of them went to Morehouse prior to me. And it's, an, you know, it's predominantly all black institution. Um, predominantly black meaning like it's probably 96 97 percent black um and when i say black i mean african-american african continental african african diaspora but you also have a really great mix of thoughtful um white americans you have asian students who do exchange programs and come into it you have sometimes once you know every now and then you may have students from the middle east but it's a very thoughtful decision to come to morehouse college knowing that it's a very unique kind of experience that you don't find in most campuses around the world. And you have the entire diaspora kind of presented there, but you also have this um, socioeconomic and dem social, you know, demographic kind of spectrum as well that it's not always seen in the black community, especially in the States or where I came from. So that, that was a really great grooming, um, grooming time for me, you know, from 17 to 20, 21. And during that time, because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, naturally business is what I gravitated towards. But at that time, I never really had anyone around me who was an entrepreneur who I could call a mentor. So I had this idealistic view of what that looked like. And when I looked into business, it was easy for me to kind of see New York City and see Wall Street. And New York City was a place that I always wanted to visit and always wanted to kind of grasp and experience and say, if, you know, and kind of live out that, that experience of, you know, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So what is it to New York? And finance became a conduit, um, largely because my brother went through finance. I remember he, like my sophomore year in college, he's like, you know, well, you know, we want to be an entrepreneur, but where would you like to start? You know, do you want, you know, get accounting degree? Do you want to get marketing? Um, and because he was in finance, he was like, well, how about you take a, you know, take some finance classes and take this particular teacher um, and see how you like it. And then from there, I did, you know, I took his advice and I actually really, it really resonated with me. Um, interestingly enough, more so than finance, economics was the, the subject that really resonated with, the, with me the most uh, because it kind of just clicked. And that taught me a lot about my own personality of like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm taking these classes to build a skill set. But I'm always thinking about it with, from a microcosmic perspective and a microcosm and then the macroeconomic perspective as well. And I always will remember whenever I was studying finance, and especially economics courses, like I was always thinking about the microcosm, like me within the universe and then my place within the universe, but then also the greater part of like how as a community and a society, if we're functioning without, with all of our necessities being addressed, what is it we can really create? And then when I look out into the world and I see finance, I see this big boy where like there's this idea of lack and this idea of scarcity. And that's what the market is built upon. So you have these principles and finance and, and business in general that's largely built on that the capitalistic market is built on these fundamental elements of scarcity. And when I look out in the world, I'm like, I already see scarcity. That's not man-made. So that was for me was it was always a, a bit of a challenge, but something that was always ready to take upon and when i graduated college and i went to work on wall street i really got a chance to be very close to people who are making really important decisions about and that they're going to impact pretty much the majority of industries up to that point um which means that you're going to influence all these different people and communities and these decisions are being make, made by very few people and then i'm beginning like and i'm sitting down i'm working with them i'm having lunch with them I'm having conversations about how their views on family, their views on politics and all those things interwoven into like, what is their own health? Like, you know, like when they come to work, what kind of mental state and emotional state are they in when they're making these, these very important business decisions to influence CEOs, to purchase and sell companies, to make transactions. 
that are affecting billions of people. Um, and I was and I was having this experience at like 21, 22 years old, and also being tasked with the responsibility of putting together all the financial that would actually make these deals happen. And I was like, well, all right, I'm not a life. I'm not trying to be a, a banker for life. But what can I get out of this? Like, I know this is not for me, but it really showed me how many people in places of power and position, how they think and what their value systems are. And and I also began to realize that, yo, like, my voice is not being heard at all. Like, there are billions of people on the face of this planet who look and probably hopefully may vibe and think in a way similar to myself that their voices are not represented. They're not at the, they don't have a seat at this table. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear to see that, like, the decisions that are being made in this world are reflections of that. So do I want to kind of change that within this system? Or can I change it? Or can I get back to what my younger goal when I was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old of wanting to be an entrepreneur? Like, is that really my path? So my first year of finance was very challenging. It was very, you know, 80, 100-hour work weeks. But then after my first year, I took about a week off. And, like, over that week, I kind of just created a plan for what I wanted my second year to be in finance. And then that's when I began to be more discerning about the projects that I took on, who are the people I was going to work with to learn certain skill sets. Because I knew when I leave here, I want to be able to have a really strong skill set and being able to value a business and valuation. So anything that I come into life, is, is I can do the math on something very easily. And, and when I say math, I don't mean like the financial value or something. I mean, is this going to be for my highest good? And, and and where I start with that is I do my own valuation of what my value system, what my with the things that I value in my personal life, I'm very clear on those. I'm, I'm also able to kind of revisit them on a regular basis and see if those and see if my valuation of the things that I deem important in my life are changing. And if they change, then how I engage with somebody else, that value the value of that experience can also change. The same way the stock market You said when you were eight, you were very clear, uh you clear that you wanted to help people, that you were going to be an entrepreneur. You didn't know any entrepreneurs. So like, let's form that out. Like, how did that, how did you become that clear on those things? And then, and, or when were you conscious of like, were you, were you conscious of it at eight? Like, yeah, these are things like you were talking about it with your parents or friends and stuff. Like, how did that, um, how did that manifest? And now you're talking about, you know, doing things that, that align with your highest good and also being very clear on your values and reevaluating them from time to time. And I'm curious because I'm, I'm learning and growing and trying to trying to stay anchored to those things. And I'd be curious to hear how it formed for you as a young man. You know, was it parents? Was it just you just an innate sense that you knew who you were? I, I personally believe that every child that comes into this world, unless there's something that's very traumatic that happens, like through childbirth and then like the first 18 months of their life, we all know what we're here to do and what our journey is. It's the, oftentimes it's our, it's our environment that socializes us to, to question the voice in our head or in our heart. And part of that process is, having access to like quality food, a safe environment. Like I was blessed. I was in a, at least in my household, like, you know, my parents were working class family, but at least in my household, there was such structure and neither my, you know, both of my parents are phenomenal people in my, in my mind, but they were also, I would say very simple and humble people. So we didn't have a lot, but we had, we were very wealthy in love. And so when I was even younger than seven to eight, I always had a vision, but I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate what that was. Um, <clears throat> but I would also look at my parents and I saw how my parents interacted with one another, how they had a respect for family, how they had a respect for, be it religion or the divine, um, how they treated one another in their relationship. All those things were like, were kind of water that planted my soil so that my dreams could, could continue to grow. So I firmly believe that every child has a really strong inclination or is always or sometimes even very clear that you know what i'm meant to be a writer or and they, and they and you notice at a young age they kind of take to certain things be mm-hmm. it you know especially creative things um and at that time my parents were very supportive and allowing us to you know to be exposed to if it's sports if it's going from camps um and my brother was also a, a great conduit and always kind of supporting whatever it was that i wanted to do I mean, I, there's so much there, but there's this one thing that 
uh, I can't shake in what you said. And there's this concept about how we all have a different relationship with money. And it's, and it's interesting in that, you know, in asking that question, my mind goes to this idea that, okay, you were on Wall Street for two years, probably making bank, and you transitioned over 15 years to do something that's probably less lucrative. And sure. how do we how do we make that transition? You know, how do how do we all, you know, think about money? And, and in your answer, it sounds to me like you have more of a relationship with life than you do with money. And I'm curious where that comes from, because it even sounds to me like you didn't go to Wall Street like a lot of people do to just stock up cash and then have so much of it that you still need more because you don't you're afraid to lose it. Right. Instead, you you were there. You took away very different learnings than we typically hear about that. And nothing that you said in all of that had anything to do with money. And was it the humble beginnings that you had? Like, what was that environment like about money when you were growing up? That that doesn't seem like. Do you not have an attachment to it? like? What, what is that? What is that like for you? Great question. Both both the questions I, I appreciate. So I was I would start with. My time when I worked in finance on Wall Street, it was it didn't take me very long to realize like I'm under I'm underpaid. Like I don't want to curse, but like frankly, like y'all don't pay me enough to do this shit. Mm. Like <laughs> I'm work like given the amount of responsibility that I have at 21, 22 years old, I'm I'm advising CEOs, CFOs of companies. <laughs> like you know, they're 40, 50 years old, and like they're they're literally sitting next to me, and I'm calling them, and we're having conversations about their spreadsheets. So it's like wait. This is a lot of money in relative to what my other friend who just graduated at 21 is working in another company is. But in, in relation to the, the responsibility that I have, I'm grossly underpaid. Mm. So who is going to set my market value? You or me? Mm. And, then, but, and, then, and, then, and then for me, it's like, well, if, if I find that to be true in that, that one particular aspect of my life, how many other areas of my life am I devaluing myself? In emotional relationships, you know what I'm saying? In platonic friendships, like during that period of time is when I really began to redefine my relationship to money, my relationship to time, this concept of time, and how I want to spend it. Because when I was working in finance, and I literally was working 80 hours a week, sometimes 100 hours a week, like there would be days I wouldn't see the sun. Like I would get on the train at six in the morning and I would leave and it's like one o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, if I had a day off, my time, my, my personal time was so vital. It became so valuable to me. Like, I didn't want to be around anything that was, that was like, I became efficient. And I don't want to be around anybody who wasn't kind of clear about what it is they wanted. Even, or, or, or if it was like, you know what, I just want to just relax and just have a good time. I became very, very clear about how I was going to spend my time because I, I've experienced not having my time being my, within my own control. And that's something I did not like more than making a lot of money. And at the end of the day, it's like you make all this money and it's like they give it to you in a form of a bonus and the government takes, you know, anywhere between 35 and 50 percent of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, hell no. Like, no, I don't like that math. I don't like that <laughs> math at all. So um, and then so to kind of answer another to answer that question in a different way as it relates to how I was raised. Um, probably around it was probably. Maybe even even college, even my first year in college and my last year, my senior year in high school, that was around the time where, um, well, even leading up to then, every couple, every summer, my both either my mother or my father would invite me to come to their work to their to their jobs and to see what it is they do for a living. And my father was a construction superintendent, loved to work with his hands. He's exceptional. Um, honestly, had he had the opportunity to go to college, he, he probably would have been an architect. And would have been like a, one of the most successful African Americans in the state of Virginia. He was for he said for about twenty years he was one of maybe two African American superintendents in the state of Virginia. Like wow. it was dominated. What, where so where in Virginia did you did you grow? Up? I grew up. We grew up in. Uh, I, I grew up in Glen Island, which is like um, a, a county just outside of Richmond, Virginia. But you know, my all my schooling pretty much Richmond, Virginia. Um, and then my mother was an educator, so she got a master's in. Uh, libraries, uh, arts, and so she always wanted to be a librarian because she loved literature, she loved history and reading, but she taught English for six years until my brother was of the age where she needed to be able to spend more time raising her own children and not just raising other people's children. 
So she, when she had got the opportunity to transition from the classroom to the library, she did that, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was very telling about her personality. Like that she would, she wanted to make sure that she could support her family, but she she wanted to also have a career that was not so taxing that she didn't have enough energy to be present in a household. And that wasn't a lesson that I really got until I was probably in my college years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, like my, you know, in, in, when I was in middle school and high school, my, every summer my mother would make me come to her job, and I would be with her in the media center and the libraries, and to watch how she structured her day watch how she spoke to other people and how they engaged with each other. It showed me so many like life lessons that I didn't really have words for at the time, but I was just taking notes on. And then one of the things that I would speak to about both, what I spoke to about both with both of my parents was why did they choose careers that were not financially lucrative? Mm. And their answers. And, and I asked both of them independent of each other being present. And they how had old were you when answer. you asked them? Probably you know, like my senior year in high school. Oh, it was that year? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, either then, and, and, I, and I'm sure, I, I, you know, because these these are the types of the questions I would revisit as I was growing. And like, let me just ask that question again and see if I can understand it differently. And so, definitely, like you know, my last couple of years in high school and probably my freshman sophomore year in college before I was committed to like doing finance, for example. Um, both of the answers were literally like the same, and they and they were not even in the same room when they said it. And both of them were like, Jamil, we. My mother was like, I love books. I love to read and I love being able to like curate books for young minds to shape young minds. And so I want to be surrounded by books. And my mother, and, and, and I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know like a librarian has a lot of freedom in terms of like the books that they bring into the library. Mm. That was amazing. And, and my mother worked at a, you know, a predominantly like urban inner city troubled high school <laughs> full of black and brown people and so for her to do that said a lot to me that she chose a passion over pennies and my father said the exact same thing he's he loves to work with his hands he loves to build he loves math and he loves to be out in nature so for him construction gave him that freedom and that flexibility to do all those things and he's a people person so he's always going to be around different people like every six to 12 months the project changes and so every day that he gets up, the project, you know, even whatever he's building, the day that they work for him is going to be different. And that taught me a lot about my own personality. It was like, you know what, I don't, I probably would do well in, a, in an environment where every day or every couple of weeks, the project transforms into something else, as opposed to doing the same kind of mundane thing every day over and over for eight to 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, for both, and so how they have both of them kind of approach money and how they were not very materialistic people. They saved the money. It taught me a lot. And as I've gotten older, I've always kind of gone back to like those conversations that I've had with them and just revisit it and revisit it. And it's like the order I get them, I really appreciate my parents for who they are. How many siblings do you have Two. Uh, I have one brother by birth, and he's married now, so I have a sister now. Not necessarily the awareness that you have today, but the awareness to find it, right? To seek it, to think about it at such an early age. Does your brother have that same experience? Like, does he have... Because it sounds to me like that was such an influential component of how your parents were and how they raised you. And I'm just curious to see if there was some consistency in that, in the act of seeking awareness, not necessarily just being aware. Does that make sense? Yep. He was able... His personality is such that he can navigate the world as it was when he was growing up and find ways to do that in a way where I didn't have the personality. I was, I was like, no, F that. Like, nah, I don't have the patience <laughs> for it. So my brother, I would say long story short, I would say my brother has a great, he, at that, at that age, he had a level of patience and he, he was able to present him, himself in a way where everybody just kind of gravitated towards him. So he was more willing to like not rock the boat in a way that I wasn't. And part of the reason why I am who I am is because my, I saw how my brother would make a lot of sacrifices with things that he did not did not allow with him, like his personality or like what he wanted out of life or in school. Um, he was still put up with it because it's like it's just a necessary evil. Mm. And for me, it was like I know my brother. I know he's. I know he's like I can call bullshit. Like I know when he is <laughs> going through the paces, and it's like, and I and I also saw his greatness that came out. Like he's like. 
he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Um, like acutely intelligent. Like he sees it once he has it and he doesn't have to study and review it. He just, he gets it. Um, but he's also an extremely hard worker, which comes from my, which comes from my parents. And for me, it was like, I need to kind of sit with things a little bit longer to understand it. Mm. And so my brother was like, he, he was almost like my greatest parent in my household because he would translate things I didn't understand. Mm. Um, so all that to say that I think that my, for example, my brother works in private equity. He doesn't love the work that he does at all, but he does it because he, went into finance as well and stayed in like that's in his mind like that was his skill set and i'm not going to switch i'm gonna go mm-hmm. through it but he also like you know what like i know what he knows what his interim goal was by the time he turned 45 and once he hit that goal he's going to leave and like start doing the work that he wants to do mm-hmm. and so our so our our what we want for life are really similar and very much aligned how we've gone about it has just been different. And I think yeah, he's been a bit more different. traditional where it's like, I'm going to go on, I'm going to work in finance. I'm going to get my money and yeah. I'm going to quit. And then I'm going to do what it is. I know I'm here to do. And, and I and, was like, go ahead. I was going to say, and he, you were probably going to answer this and it, it just, it's almost like you've lived the life we all wish we could live, but we live the life your brother lives, right? Uh, this, I'm going to make it, I'm going to work for somebody else. I'm going to let someone else dictate to me how my time is spent, how my life is spent and give me my, you know, three, four weeks of vacation every single year. And yet you decided in this, and this is what I think is so fascinating about it is you said, no, I want to make that decision. I want to decide how my time is spent and I want to be able to build the life that I want and, you know, not let someone else tell me what to do. And I just think it's such a fascinating thing because it's almost like it's the dream that we all wish we had and you're living it. And I think we can all live it. It's just going to start at a different point and understanding how you do that and understand how you made that 15 year journey to where you are today after you left Wall Street, I think is really, really important. You're like, man, that's awesome. I think there's, there's this theme with, with you, Jamil, this inherent confidence that you have with the circumstance and the control and the the world that you have cultivated for yourself and to your point rodney like oftentimes to to have an appreciation for someone else you have to have an appreciation for yourself and i think you demonstrate that extremely well and you did say something in there this difference between confidence and cockiness how do you define that how do you observe it Mm. and how do you process that because I think it's a Thank big, you. big thing. I can sense it. I can feel it. And so, a- as it relates to like, let's just let's just use Instagram, right? Um, and let's use so so something that is increasingly popular are a lot of women who like who are now like fitness and they have great physical assets and like they're very curated photos of them looking great and then you know working out and it's like well damn like what else are they doing in their life? So, and then there, then you also have other people who are life coaches or they want to inspire people or, or, you know, they just, they have a, a, you know, they have their own career, but health and wellness and exercise is something that they genuinely appreciate. And they, they want to just share that part of their life with the world. I think there's a difference in how it's expressed through, through image, um, on Instagram. And so I think it's something, it's just as a, as a photographer, I think I just have the cultivated skill of being able to kind of like to discern what's more genuine and what isn't. Mm. Um, largely because like I'm marketed to 24 hours a day, and so I just know what BS is and I know what good marketing is. I know? think um, it does. And to your point, I think for me, it starts with like having those conversations with myself and always kind of reassessing what my values are. Um, and because I'm clear about that, it's very difficult for me to be swayed emotionally through Instagram, through likes and through visuals. It's like, yeah, that's dope. But it's like, well, all right, that's fresh, but I can keep it moving. I don't have to like start following something. I have to linger here or yeah. Uh, I think what's, um, 
interesting about that the difference in the divide between the two and i think you said it because i struggle with this and and i struggle with it in the history of my lifetime where my my family um starting with my grandfather in particular and maybe before him uh cultivated an environment where cockiness was an, an evil thing right like do not be cocky in other words don't be too confident well where that ultimately takes you is to a place of a lack of confidence because you don't yeah. want to be too cocky, right? And I think there's this this funny thing about cockiness is that no one likes it. But if it's sincere to who you are, I can accept it. And that's what I think we all inherently see, even if we can't necessarily put it into words. Um, and I think that's what's what's refreshing about your path is it's so genuine to who you are. Have you always been able to accept compliments, or is that like because I, I ask because it's something I I I uh, am I, I have to work on. It's that's a I, great, I deflect. No, that, that's a deep question. You that? Oh man, you know what? No, <laughs> flatly no. And that's that's a really really deep question. Um, that has taken me that I, I, it's taken me years to be able to accept, which is. I mean, to call it what it is, it's like it's an expression of my love and appreciation for somebody else. Mm -hmm. and, and to like, you know, like, and I had literally had to ask myself, why do I get uncomfortable when somebody shows shows love to me? Like, you know, wants to big you up and just like, you know, just salute you. And it's like, yo, like, am I not deserving? Like, it's it's, it's not all the work that I do on a daily basis behind closed doors that nobody sees. Like, when, when it's actually time to live your life in in space and people acknowledge and they see your light. I then like shy away from it. It took me years like to kind of. I literally had to sit with that for years. I'm like, yo, what is that? And I've also had to do that with my relationship to money. And what it, what what came to me is that, and where I am now is this: is that like, and I tell this to my partner. I tell this to anybody that I, that I've talked to and I have a relationship with. This that whenever I found that whenever I would receive a compliment or just somebody should like shower me with love and support like that, and I would shy away from it. That to me, I was telling the universe that I was not deserving of what it is I was getting, mm -hmm. and then I feel like the universe is going to listen to everything that I'm saying and that I'm telling it, and it's going to act accordingly. Respond in kind, yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's like you know what, shit. I'm I'm gonna stop putting people in your life who going who will speak to you and, and 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 shower you and show you love in the way that you are deserving of. Mm. I, you know, in essence, I can say it a different way. It's like instead of being around people who are confident within themselves, they can like show respect and like and show love to me i'm going to probably be around people who are cockier and they're not going to be confident enough to say Jamil, you know what that was cool that was great like you know you're a good person and in the way that keith was sharing that with me as opposed to keith you know another keith would kind of talk about himself and brag about himself and then in that moment i'm like well damn like he's he is he is great am i am i less than him thank you for sharing the journey because i'm on that very same journey of of consciously stopping myself because i man i'm so good at deflates like somebody gives me a compliment like nah man that's really you know the it's the shoes or the sun shining on me right or blah 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 but i can't but it's just stopping to just say you know what thank you i received it Why? like i accept it thank you is, is it possible to unpack that a little bit more yeah yeah i mean you i think you nailed it deserving like i don't feel i don't feel like deserving of the praise of the compliments of the which is which is wild because i also hold this belief that like i get up and i grind like i get up and i work and it's like well what am right. i working for if i don't feel like i deserve the exactly. fruits of that labor you know like what exactly. many people are quick to associate a person being confident with cockiness because of, of this kind of self-projection um, and I think one of the reasons why I, I really appreciate Instagram and like things like YouTube and like just access to, you know, people kind of telling people kind of lifting the veil and showing the work that's put in before you get to a Sunday where you see these athletes or you see these artists and entertainers perform. There's a tremendous amount of sacrifice, sacrifice and dedication that they put in that the average person does not see. It's not even aware of. Um, and then. The more I've been able to kind of see parts of those worlds with the, you know, with the veil lifted up, I've gained a different appreciation where it's like, for example, in the past, I may have considered 
let's just say a particular athlete to be cocky. Well, let's take let's take Kobe Bryant for example, right? Mm -hmm, say what you mm -hmm. want about he, you know, he mm -hmm. has a sort of past, this is a great example, you know, with this and that. But all things, you know, kind of, all, all things, you know, look, looking at everything kind of you know through a fair lens. When it comes to his skill, which is he chose to be a professional basketball player. When when we look at the work that he put in and the dedication with his diet, his commitment, his leadership, his study, all these things, so that he could excel. When he gets on a court, he demands excellence from everybody, from the referees to the coaches to his teammates. It's, he expects to be great. It's even before that for him, too. Like, I heard Luke Walton, the Laker coach now, who played with Kobe, talk about, like, it was not, like, you could joke, Joby, Joby, Joby? <laughs> uh, you could joke with Kobe, but not about basketball. Because it wasn't, like, a lot of, like, we watch it as a game. But for him, this was, like you said, his profession. It was his passion. It was his love. So Luke Walden was talking about one day he came in. He decided to come in early to get a workout in. He got there at like 6, 5.30 or 6. And he saw Kobe walking up to the building. He's like, oh, I beat you here. And Kobe, he said, cut him a look that could kill. And was like, mm -hmm. nah, bro. I just got done with the track. And I'm about to hit the gym and then some videos. He's like, mm -hmm. he's like, don't like Kobe's Kobe's intensity is what got mistaken as cockiness because yeah. he, like you said, he demanded excellence. Like he did not want anything less than the best for the thing that he chose to do with his life. And I think personally for me, what's terrifying about that and why it's easy for me to peg that as cockiness is because personally, I've never poured myself that much into any one thing. And it's, mm -hmm. Be, and it's and it's risk mitigation because if I pour myself into the one thing that much and and I don't win a championship or I don't win a ring or I don't, then I would see myself as a failure. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of sort of do a lot of things and, you know, the one to work out, work out. Um, and that, that's like my personal take on it. But yeah, Kobe, I, th I think Kobe's a real good, ex a good example. We should come back to that too, what you just shared. You know, if, if you know, at, at a future point, I think I think that is something that uh, that that being some uh, just to kind of give it like a a term, kind of like hedging our bets at times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think many people, and including myself, have done that. I've done it in relationships um, in my past. I've done that with with sports. Like, and, and for me, that was that came from a place of for me personally, not for you. It came from a place of like fear and insecurity, where like. If I don't max out and it doesn't work, then it's like, all right, whatever. Um, and then I got to a point where I began to learn a lot about like life through playing sports, where it's like when I prepare as best I could on the court, on the field, off the field, and when it came to game time and I performed at my best, whether we won or lost, I was at peace because I know mm -hmm. what the work that I put into it and I could shine and walk off that field with my hair high. And I began to notice how the people I competed against, they would always make it a point. The coaches and players would always stop and, and like acknowledge me in ways they would acknowledge some of my teammates who were as talented or sometimes even considered to be more talented than me. They're like, yo, you're dope. Like, I, I know that this dude is a great athlete and he's like, he's putting the work. And that began to, like, and having like that kind of positive like affirmation, that helped me, that energized me to do it more in other areas of my life. As not just football, not just I, basketball, I'm running track. I think you just delicately and eloquently tied the last two topics together around accepting compliments and the perception that one has never put some so much effort. I would agree with Rodney, and I've been doing a lot of work um due to due to an exercise uh, our our coach had put me on this week so this conversation is really important uh or really pertinent but this idea that i've never poured myself into something so much i would agree over the term of a lifetime like kobe committed himself to to basketball the same way lebron and tom brady and all of these people have committed mm -hmm. themselves to this one craft but in this work that I've done, I've, I've, it, part of it is looking back at the things that you've been proud of because I have the same perception of myself as I've never worked that hard to accomplish something. It turns out I have, 
right? I just never perceived myself as doing it because it wasn't this long-term thing. It was a temporary stop to, to make something happen. And then the rest of it just kind of played itself out over time. Mm -hmm. And I think having that perception of yourself that says, I have never done this makes it harder to accept compliments because you use the example of when you were playing at your best, you worked hard, you did everything that you could to prepare yourself to play your best, you played your best, and then people started complimenting you. And what was different about that is that you accepted those compliments because I know I worked hard at it. I made it work. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, we want to tell you about one of our villagers, the Elevation Society. Rodney, can you tell them about the Elevation Society? Indeed, I can. And Elevation Society is a nonprofit that focuses on reducing suicide, bullying, and depression by uniting humans to collectively solve issues and by showing every individual that their life is worth fighting for. It's an extremely powerful mission, and uh, it's worthwhile. So check them out at theelevationsociety.org. Hope you're enjoying today's show. Let's get back into it. Um, one of the things that you did uh, in this journey after Wall Street is get a master's in Chinese medicine. Um, really curious about... Yeah, one of the many things. Yeah, one of the many things. <laughs> but this one I'm really curious about. Um, what made you... <laughs> What made you choose that and what has that given you to get to a place yeah. where you are let's, today? Let's add more context. Black man from Virginia decides to get a yeah. master's in <laughs> Chinese medicine, become acupuncture and herbology. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I look at that from the outside, I'm like, hmm, okay. I mean, I like Kung Fu <laughs> a lot, but uh, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. It's, for me, it just seems like the normal thing to do, but like, I, I can see how, like, when you put it that way, I can see how it's like, that's some, that's some strange. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to become more in tune with myself. Everything about acupuncture, like the, the philosophy of it, the philosophy that birthed the medicine, the tools that we get and use within the medicine, all starts with being in touch and in tune with nature and being in tune with the universe, which is how all the acupuncture points on the body were mapped. It's because the same people, the same brilliant people in the world thousands and thousands of years ago, when they were mapping the stars, they were like, oh, if there's a macrocosm, there's a microcosm because we are connected to the divine. So literally, if you can map Big Dipper, Little Dipper, you have astrology, there's an, on the, if you look at your own physical body in the mirror, you can and you, be, you you could possibly begin to see your body as like an astrological chart, and mm -hmm. there are points on the body that have very great effect on certain things, certain organs, certain energies, and that was fascinating to me. So with I was that, like, I, like my like, limited my limited knowledge of what you're talking about, would you be talking about chakras at all or? Like what kinds of points are you talking about? Yep. So that so shock. So the, the term chakras comes from a different system. I believe that's more like not Sanskrit, but Hin it's Hindu? more like a yeah, Hindu Ayurvedic um, that kind of world. Mm -hmm. So chakras are usually more aligned with like the system of like you know yoga, which all of which I think have the same origin. Um, they, they being like you know yoga chakras, acupuncture, uh, Kabbalah, tarot, all those things, all have the same origin um, and same intention. So when I'm talking about points on the body, you have the acupuncture. You, you have 12 major meridians on the body. Meridians. Of, of which, it. yeah, and, and each of those meridians has a different number of quote-unquote points, acupuncture points on the body. Um, but in essence, if, if you literally look into, like, the sky, and you see, like, a myriad of stars, the body has those same. And everywhere you see a star in the sky will be an acupuncture point on the body. Mm. And you have larger stars, you have, you know, quirks and you have, you know, all sorts of things happening in the sky you have happening within the body. And over time, mm. really brilliant people who are very in tune with both the universe and with the, like the physical body have began to give those points names. Um, and we've applied functions to them based on how we've used those points over time. And so for me, it was like, as I was kind of going on this journey of, one, it, so, so the way it started with me was I've always been interested in like herbal medicine and 
using earth, using food as medicine. I thought it was just like it's just the sm- simplest, smartest thing on earth. It's like, duh. Like, why? Why did I think about that when I was ten years old, fifteen years old? Like, everything that I eat is either it could be food, a form of medicine, or a form of like the opposite. Like, it can literally be toxic to my body if I do what, too much of it or I what, eat it at the wrong time. What gave you that? Like, wh- when did you have that light bulb moment of food? Me- food as medicine. Playing, playing sports. Playing mm. sports where it would start with like my, you know, my mother, my, my parents, like you know, one, don't drink too much soda because it's gonna ruin your teeth. Then it went from that to like my coaches being like, don't drink soda, don't eat certain foods before games, before competition, for X number, for you know, for the reasons that they would give. You know, it's gonna make you lethargic, this and that, this and that. And to the point where I'm like, all right, well, let's do it. You know, and then I would see how I felt, and then I was also notice that you know, the pre meal, the pre game meals when they serve different foods, how I would feel on the field late hours later. Like, I ate this. I ate pizza. I ate something else. Pasta, like, breadsticks. Like, 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 <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, just carbs. Like, empty yep. carbs. I'm like, damn, like, by the second quarter, I'm I'm, I'm tired. Why am I tired? Versus, like, the next game, you know, I eat lighter. I make, you know, you know I might get some subway, you know, something that's fresher and, like, get some, you know, some fruit. And I could play six quarters. Mm. And so... I began to notice those types of things without knowing like anything about nutrition. It was just honest, you know, so that, that idea of taking care of my body because I've put this work in. So I should be put, you know, like, I think I have a good engine, so I should put quality gasoline in my system. Right. Put that 91, and, 92 in. But... You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, well, we putting gas in it, you know, like why, why you know, and, and so... as I got older, I, I started to learn like, you know, well, you know what? In the same way that we're starting to see that, you know, you can actually drive a really nice looking car that's electric. Mm-hmm. Maybe my body doesn't even need the types of foods that fit on yeah, this food in. pyramid. Like maybe the food pyramid itself is obsolete, which I find it to be. Um, right? On the the car analogy. So it was probably six years ago for me. I was listening to a friend who's a nutritionist and physical trainer. And his analogy was... Or his comment was, we spend more time thinking about the red lights that our cars give us <laughs> yeah. than the red lights that our body gives us. He's like, that's so real. somebody gets a rash. He's like, that's a red light. But what we do is put a cream on it, an external cream, instead of saying, well, what did I eat? What have I been eating? What am I putting in my body that is causing that? And when he said that, I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, why yeah. have I never thought of that? Yeah. Like, And yeah. So that's why I was curious, like when that, how that happened for you. But like car, it was the car thing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it was definitely sports. Like, like I mean, I, I feel like I've learned most, so many of my real life lessons at an early age through sports, mm-hmm. uh, which, which especially like team sports to be specific. Like I've always been blessed to play participate in team sports, and that taught me that like I'm never independent of twelve, eleven other people, twenty two other people. Like, doesn't matter how great you think you are individually, you need somebody else in this world. And I, and I, and that's, I've so valued that. And, and that lesson was reinforced in my home with my parents and my family, my nuclear family. Um, you know, growing up in the church, like in all, in every facet of my life, I found that lesson kind of repeating itself. And so that has also kind of helped me never kind of tend towards like the confidence side and not the cockiness side. And I think people kind of tend towards the cockiness side, kind of lose mm-hmm. sight of that. Um, or they keep people around them who allow them to to think that it's them and that everybody else cultivating that. Um, yeah. Mm. So the confidence. So for you, this journey, the team sports, knowing who you want to be, uh, finding a way to get there. So like acupuncture, herbology. Like this all became a way to express it and help other people on their paths and be a part of it. Is that not, not even? No, not even. It was. It was about. I want to make sure that I'm. If I'm so to use analogy of a car, I think for this one, I think it's a little easier if I use like the analogy of an instrument. Like I want to make sure my instrument is so well tuned that anytime I get a chance to play music that the world can hear and experience, it's beautiful. Like I think that like I'm deserving of that experience. I think that like my ancestors and everybody who's made sacrifices in my life, they have, they all have lived a life in such a way that like they've made sacrifices for that. I should be able to express the beauty that I've been given 
with the world. And when you hear it and you experience it, it should be beauty to your ears. So what does it mean? So what what is whatever it is I need to do to cultivate myself so that I'm in alignment and in attunement, that's what my interest is. And so that's where herbs came from. And then from mm-hmm. herbs is where I was introduced to acupuncture to connect mm-hmm. those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and sports was a great way to, exp- to express that as well. It's like, I want to shine. I, I, want, I, will, I want to make my parents so proud. That they, you're like, Cause like, you know, I'm in school, you know, what, eight hours a day. I have practice three hours a day. I'm away from my family at least 10 hours a day. I want my mom, my dad to see on Friday night, what the hell has this son been doing? It's like, yo, he got, he's getting great grades. He's a good, he's a good human being. He's a good student and he's a phenomenal athlete as well. And to me, it's like, yo, I am, I, and I can do all of this because of who my parents are. And that, and, and so when I was performing, I wanted to like honor my parents. And so that lesson has taught me to like, well, shit, if, I'm, if I can honor something outside of myself, let me be more aware of the things that I'm putting into my body because I need to ask myself, am I really honoring myself with the things that I eat or the things that I consume like visually or musically or like sonically? You know, the types of news that I consume, like, is this really for my highest good? And based on what my goals are, am I choosing to bring things into my life that are supporting my vision and my goals? Are they inhibiting it? So then it becomes easy. And so having that going through those exercises makes it easier to make decisions about the things that I put into my body, the type of woman I wanted to date. The type of you know the types of conversations I, I chose to engage in versus like I nod and keep it moving. <laughs> I catch y'all later. We are done with this type of conversation. I, I ain't got the I ain't got the bandwidth for it today. I think what's um, you know it, it's almost you know I, I keep wanting to ask this question that's almost looking for a silver a silver bullet to to pinpoint and it seems like there's just this natural ability for you to to really just follow one you figured out where your vibrations are like you figured out what drives you what motivates you what makes you get up and enjoy today which is something that i think work everybody should do but you've accepted it regardless of any external pressure or external expectation or any societal perception of whatever it is you do you follow it and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to make this decision because it's the best decision for me and that best decision will positively impact everything around me. And I'm, I, I, I want to know, like, I'm so inspired by that, like how you do that. And you kind of answered it, but I'm still like, how do you have that ability to just say, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this decision today? Like, cause this is the decision that needs to happen. Like it's intuition. Like yeah. the, the short answer is it's intuition. The longer answer is intuition is a muscle that we have to, that I mm. like actively try to cultivate. And I feel like, and I, and, and I think that in kind of what we spoke about earlier is I feel like everybody is like, every child is born in tune with something greater. And society conditions us to not listen to that voice within us and to listen to other people's guides outside of ourselves to say, this is the norm. This is how shit has been. This is what you do if you want to be viewed as beautiful, successful, fill in the blank, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, growing up, whenever I would would feel something inside of me that that did not match what I was seeing outside of me, I was like, well, okay. Today, I'm going to choose to do what society is saying I should do. And I would go through an experience. I'm like, that shit was whack. Mm. I, I, I can count. I literally, I know every time in my life where I'm like, I'm dimming my light and I'm dimming myself down so that somebody across from me is not going to feel intimidated. That's the, to me, that is the, that's the worst expression of my life. Like, I feel like I'm wasting my life by doing that. And it's, but it's also taking me like, decades to work through that insecurity of like another feeling that I'm making another person uncomfortable. And I had to make the decision to like, you know what? Sometimes another person may feel uncomfortable within their skin. That's not my battle to fight. And at the end of the day, it's like the way that I approach my life is that like, let me live my life in such an honest way that 
when I engage somebody who may not be familiar with this and like they may feel uncomfortable and they may think that, okay, Jamil is cocky. I want them to kind of keep in, hopefully they engage with me and hopefully I can, I can move in a way where like they realize, you know what, maybe it's not confident, cockiness. Maybe it's just like, that's who he gen- genuinely is. Mm-hmm. And maybe that person will maybe want to ask a question or just kind of be in the same space with me. And like, and they realize that, yo, he's not putting on a front. Like he's, he's very honest and genuine about this. Um, it's a muscle that I've had, that I've had to cultivate and to, you know, to keep to your question more directly. It's, I felt that as a child mm-hmm. and many times where I didn't feel like I had an answer, all I had was my intuition because th- there are so many things in society as a, you know, and let's just say as a 12 year old kid in sixth grade, there were not many images of, there were not many positive images of people who looked like me, who had a, who had a voice that sounded like mine who had a background that was similar to mine that was positive yet when i what i felt in my body and in my heart was positive but i wasn't seeing it reflected outside of me so i can choose to fit into the you know the image of another typical 12 year old kid and do mischievous stuff and get into trouble and skip school but like or i can do like what i know to be true and And you also had parents that cultivated cultivated that intuition like they didn't tell you to turn it down they might have redirected like hey that's not i i I would say this i I wouldn't actually agree with that i would say that Mm. you know i would say that you know my mother for example she had her way of she wanted to protect her children Mm -hmm. and the way to protect her children was you keep your head down you be Mm -hmm. a good christian you are respectful You, you, you one don't let anybody tread on you ever and if somebody puts their hands on you, you teach them a very serious lesson one time and you walk away. And you, you, and you can deduce however, you know, what that means. But the other <laughs> side was like, you be a good Christian and you be pious and you, you know, you always, you know, and all those things. And so I started, I did that as well. But then sports was for me a great way of like, all right, I'm all those things. But like, I don't have to be apologetic about my talents, about my gifts, especially when I'm cultivating them. Right. So. Both and my father was more of that ladder, more of that side. He's like, you don't have, and he never, he never was like, he, he was always never to be boastful, but like, son, like, I am whatever you choose to do, I'm going to be proud of you. Just make sure you put your all into it. Don't quit. Like, quitting is not part of this family. It's not part of our language. Um, so all those things played a part in it. But to I me, think- it's like as a child, every yeah. child kind of has that thing innately. It's just, are we cultivating it? And the more we cultivate it, the more it becomes second nature, first nature. Is I'm glad you said it. It's taken me decades of work to cultivate it. Um, we often look for the magic. They, like I said, you know, I'm looking for that that answer. What is it? And it's work. It's it's attention. It's intentional to get to a point where, you know, whenever that point happens it does become part of you. It becomes who you are. It is who you are in making a decision to you. It's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, I don't know how to do that. Right. But I haven't done the work to make that possible yet. Yet, It's clear, Jamil, that you've done all this work and the energy and that frequency that you're on resonates even over the phone, even, you know, over like the, the, there's a comfort, there's a there's a relaxing nature, and I hope that you know our listeners get that same thing, and I imagine they will because that is the energy that you put out in this world, regardless of of what it's rooted in. And I just, I, I mean, I thank you for for being a part of this. I thank you for you know joining us on this show because I think there's a lot of value in in the path that you've taken for for other people to just hear and and let it resonate with however it resonates with them so um i appreciate that and i will i will say this and in the last question is what what would you say what would you leave our audience with something that's been resonating with me lately that i've been speaking anybody i've been kind of working with as relates to like acupuncture is to check in with they just find the language explore the language and explore the tools that for, for everybody to check in with themselves. So what that means to me is that like, what are our processes when we are stressed out? 
where are our support systems? What are our rituals for working through challenging times? You know, do, do we eat certain things? You know, do we have tendencies? What are those tendencies and why? And and to explore them without judgment, just to like just look at it factually. Like when I'm stressed out, I do X. Or when I'm in, when I'm in anxious, I eat Y. You know. Start. I would encourage people just to start there and, and figure out where they are as like a baseline, and then also explore if they woke up tomorrow and like every every baseline need was addressed, how would they move into the world? And then kind of having those two thoughts and ideas as like bookends, then begin to look at like how can I begin to get there step by step, day by day, and how can I maintain the feeling of like that utopic kind of feeling. Take that and like capture that and like keep that with them. And then as they're kind of exploring themselves, begin to work through, like actively work through a new type of relationship with themselves. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think we, we all move through this world so much and we move, we're moving quicker and quicker and like kind of, you know, uh, riding to your point earlier about like notifications. Like we have so many distractors in life that like we can begin to kind of simplify things. And just, you know, if it's 10 minutes a day, just really checking in. And for you, if checking in just means shutting off the phone, mm. going into a quiet space, playing, you know, your favorite music without any lyrics so you can hear your own voice, I mm. think it's a great start. Like, there's so much noise in our daily lives. And noise being, like, advertisements, noise being, like, the news, politics, verbal conversations. Like, just having time to be quiet and just, and just to be able to like sit with ourselves and like feel our body, like feel ourselves within our body. Like, like when is the last time you actually sat in like a quiet, dark space and just listen to your own breath and notice like where in the body you're breathing from. Are you breathing from your chest? Are you breathing from your diaphragm? Are you breathing from someplace in the middle? Are your breaths shallow? Are they deep? Why? Hmm. You know, and, and, and to be able to explore those things without seeking answers, but just asking the questions and being okay with not having answers, I mm. think is an important start. 